everybody. It's Allie here. And today I've got a different guest, uh, not Hannah. We have Ashley Groves of Culture Snapshots. You can find her on her amazing blog at culturesnapshots.com or on social media on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. Ashley, thank you so much for joining me this week. Thanks for having me. Good to see you after so long. Yes. So uh, people obviously don't know. We've actually known each other since high school and we had a bit of a weird situation because we're both from small town, Ohio, but we both somehow ended up in Korea. Um, And I was wondering if you could tell everybody, we usually ask our guests because everybody has their own like Korea story, how they fell in love with Korea or how they ended up here. So what about you? What's your Korea story? Yeah, so I moved to Korea in 2015 with my then boyfriend to teach English as a foreign language. And I taught English in Gyeonggi-do and then Seoul for two years. And then I took a semester of Korean at Sogong University to kind of get my Korean up a little bit. I'd been sitting just here and there. Mm-hmm. Then I worked again in Gyeonggi-do. I worked in Hagwans, pretty much just kindergartens with some after-school classes. And then I eventually left Korea to go to graduate school in London. That's amazing. What did you, what kind of inspired you to go back to school? I had been considering graduate school for a while and looking at different programs. And then I finally found a program that I really liked, applied and just, I saw where I got in. And then I went and, um, I was so excited to have you on here today because your specific master's thesis was about Korea. And so I guess you took a little bit of that Korea love and lifestyle away with you. Could you tell us a little bit about your thesis and kind of what inspired you to write it? Yes. So my master's dissertation was inspired directly by my time in Korea because I did a qualitative study of female English educators, educators, like I was myself. And I say educators because they were mostly teachers, but I had one tutor. So they weren't, they weren't all just like public school teachers or Hagwon teachers. Mm. And so from my own experiences and the experiences of my friends and reading other women's experiences, I saw that there was kind of this gap in research about this specific context, a very interesting context. And so I looked at how female English educators perceive, experience, and navigate their social position in Korean society, particularly through belonging and power. Yeah, that's that's such an amazing topic. And I think like like you said, there's such a big gap in research about not only about like educators in Korea, but also just foreigners living in Korea and their kind of lifestyle here. And I think like, even before I read your thesis, I kind of, I mean, any foreigner that you talk to, there's such a wide range of experiences and opinions, but to look at it closely from the standpoint of like, we all have the same job, like we're all paid the same amount. And yet like to everybody has their own experience as an educator in Korea, some positive and some not so positive. It's just really uh, interesting because then you have to ask, you know, why are, why is there such this huge range of experiences? So overall, would you kind of say that your participants had a generally positive experience and outlook on life in Korea? 
Actually, yeah, that was one of my findings is that everybody generally felt pretty positive in their interactions with Koreans, maybe, you know, neutral at times where you're just, you know, existing in public spaces in a city and you just, and one participant did have more kind of ambivalent experiences where there were positive experiences, but she had some negative experience. So obviously those are going to kind of maybe affect her overall view, but there was a range of experiences that my participants had, but yeah, mostly positive, you know, and they made their own little communities of friends or Lord Korean culture, you know, different ways of finding a bit of their own place. Yeah, definitely. I think I resonate with that a lot. And a lot of the time, like if I do share with my Korean friends, like something difficult or uh, xenophobic that's happened to me, the first thing my Korean friends will say, and maybe you've had this experience too, is they say, oh, not all Koreans are like that. Like, I'm so sorry on behalf of Koreans. I'm so sorry. And, you know, I'm like, no, don't, don't say that. Like, I know that, but I just want to share my experience with you. So they really are sensitive about it. And, and the fact that you're foreign, it's, it's not necessarily a bad thing, but they want to look out for you. Yeah, definitely. I've definitely had so many experiences like that in Korea, like at all of my schools, you know, the Korean teachers really helping you get settled. Like if they need to make a call for you, they will. Um, and, you know, more than one at every school, you know, being really willing to help you like kind of navigate daily life, right? which some people might need a lot of help with that, especially when they first arrive in Korea, because they don't know anything. Like I literally discovered Daiso by accident, like stationary store. And I went in and it was like all of these cool things. Heaven on earth. You kind of have to discover some of that for yourself. But, you know, if you need to like find a dentist or a hospital or something, they'll help you. And I've just had a lot of Koreans, like if I look like I'm struggling with like directions, kind of help point me in the right way. Sometimes I think I've been like a random park or hike. And then you just have like the little old ladies, Ajumas, who are just like come up to you and like share some oranges. Yeah, they always share food especially fruits. Yes. I remember one time I was about to miss my KTX train. I was just kind of confused in Seoul station. And I don't remember if I even missed it or not, but I was like really distressed looking and the older Korean gentleman stopped and was kind of helping me figure out where to go. I've also had some kind of nice experiences with some Ajashis at like the palaces, like they've got their big DSLRs and their tripods and they're taking pictures of stuff and I've got my DSLR and I'm trying to take pictures of stuff and you know we're just kind of like waiting to take pictures of like the same kind of area and they'll just say like hello and it's really positive to me because they're just treating me like maybe they would anybody else you know like we're both clearly interested in photography there's just the human element to the social interactions Um, I have some questions to ask you about your thesis. I was hoping you could share with people. I think people are going to find this topic super interesting. Um, At the beginning, I was really struck by your, you used a phrase and you said, the social position of foreigners produces conflicting experiences of privilege and marginalization. And you, like you said, you worked here yourself. So I was wondering if you had any experiences of both sides of that coin, um, experiences of privilege being a foreign English teacher, a female foreign English teacher, I should say, and also any experiences of marginalization. Is there anything that you can kind of remember after all these years being outside of Korea? 
Yeah, definitely. There are still some experiences that I do remember, though I'm sure that I don't remember some of the details of what did happen. And of course, my experiences will not be the experiences of everybody, you know, working at creative different times in different locations and different schools. Right. But, you know, also I'm white, I'm American, I'm a woman, you know, but we are also all foreigners. And so that alone has its own experiences. Right. I can also speak kind of intermediate Korean, which can sometimes help though not always if you know I'm stressed or the situation is one where people are speaking very fast to me sure or with a dialect still (laughs) yes dialects or they think that my Korean is like really good and they're just using so much vocabulary (laughs) that I do not understand yeah Um, speaking a million miles an hour (laughs) um that's okay but that's a little hard right So obviously the biggest category is being a foreigner and Mm -hmm. that definitely would have some, some privileges. I think a lot of experiences of marginalization, marginalization for people, um, you might have some privileges in that, you know, you might be able to quote unquote, get away with behaviors that Koreans might not. And I'm not talking about like illegal things or really rude things, but like, if you don't sort your trash totally correctly mm. you're not gonna get stared or like reprimanded or something like a korean person mate um but the thing about privileges like that is is sometimes kind of hard to see right so i'm sure there probably were some times where that did happen but it's a little hard to pinpoint exactly mm-hmm. but i'm sure that it was there Koreans might be more forgiving of certain behaviors from you. Like if you don't know how to call the waiter correctly or something like. Right. Or if you use informal language. Yeah. <laughs> right. Because definitely. you might not know all the nuances of everything, even if you've been in Korea a couple of years, because there's a lot of different things, a lot of different situations that could come up. Absolutely. I think even the foreigners here who are celebrities and they speak perfect Korean and they have Korean families, like they, they're still let off the hook just because they're foreign. Maybe they're not forgiven, but they're kind of, it's a shrug and Oh, it's a foreigner. And they forget about it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. There's, they just kind of shrug and move on. Right. This is probably good, but in terms of marginalizations, I think Mm. people can see those experiences, you know, a lot more clearly obviously when you're an English teacher, your visa is tied to your school. Yes. So <laughs> sadly that can be kind of a tricky predicament for a lot of people, because if you have trouble with your school, your school can kind of hold your visa over you. Yeah. I've heard of some schools, even like illegally, illegally taking passports away from people. Yeah. You hear a lot of horror stories about that kind of thing, because even if you quit and get a letter of release, they still have usually work like two-ish months, you know, and they could try to pull stuff. Now I didn't have anything of like, you know, that kind of level, but I think teachers, like almost every teacher has some kind of story of their school trying to pull stuff for sure that, you know, (laughs) would they be pulling that on a Korean? Maybe, maybe not. Mm. Then I also have an experience with marginalization that not everybody would definitely have. In 2019, I was in Korea as a tourist and I was crossing the street at a crosswalk legally and I got hit by a car. Yes, you did. Oh my gosh. I'd forgotten about that. And I know other people who this has happened to. Yeah, it was a whole situation. I had to stay overnight 
two or three nights. I forget because I got hit like 11 p.m. at night. Um, I had to get eight stitches on my head. Luckily, I did not have a concussion or anything. But the thing was, I did have the right of way illegally. Mm. And I think the driver did have a black box in his car showing that hit me. I think I didn't watch the video because I don't really want to see that. Sure. But um, I even had the hospital call the police so I could attempt to make a report in Korean. And they did show up, but I had just been hit by a car and, you know, I was kind of like dazed and stressed. And so my Korean ability was not the best. And I don't know if they were like, why are you calling us? Basically, the dude's insurance knew I was a foreigner and they wanted to give out, they would like cover my medical bills and give this like really small settlement. And they basically wouldn't play ball with like my pretty reasonable request. And I knew what like was like a reasonable amount because my boyfriend who is a native Korean, Mm. he did research on it. And so they were trying to exploit the fact that I was a foreigner. And even if I was a resident at the time, you know, I would maybe eventually go. Mm. And so the only way I was actually able to deal with it at all was by having a native Korean speaker making calls on my behalf. But if I didn't have somebody close to me who could A, speak Korean fluently, Mm. B, willing to do all this, and then C, you know, this government agency, I would have just been in an even worse situation. Right. Yes. And I, I guess it's not to scare anybody, you know, like people listening, we're not trying to scare you away. Don't come to Korea, but it is something important to kind of recognize that these systems aren't really there. People might take advantage of you, especially in a health situation, like to know that that could be a potential outcome and to make sure that you have a close Korean person who can help you. I think it's, it's really important to know. I think even Koreans, they don't understand that this kind of situation is happening. And I think a lot of them would be so upset to know that like you had been put in that situation. But the fact of the matter is like, there just aren't systems in place really to protect not only foreign people living here, but also foreign tourists, you know? Thank you so much for sharing that. I know that that was a really, I can't even imagine traumatic time and to not feel like you had support must have felt really scary. Well, luckily you you had your your boyfriend with you. Yeah, luckily I had him for sure because that would have been a lot scarier of a situation mm. too because even the Korean hospital situation is a lot different than in the United States. Like usually the nurses don't really come and help you do things and so you usually have to have somebody help you or hire somebody to do that. Interesting, I didn't know that. So I think you just come into the into it with the mindset that that's going to be just like your hometown, but it is good to research those things, especially if you already have pre-existing conditions. Yeah, definitely. And I know that one area of concern for some foreigners is blood because mm. if you have like a rare type of blood, that's not so common in Korean blood banks that right. you might have to drum up some donations. That's something one of my participants had mentioned to me and that sometimes you also can't donate blood as a foreigner because if you've like lived a certain place and stuff yeah in the uk because of mad cow disease yeah yeah yeah, yeah. i'm not even british but i can't donate any blood because i lived there from like a certain time period onwards for a certain amount of time yeah that is really good to know in terms of like being an american that's not really had any really negative experiences per se 
Mm. I've had some instances where there's been some like older Korean man come up to me in like the subway and just been like, America, America. And I'm like, <laughs> yes. And he's like, America, good. And I'm like, uh, okay. what, if, what if it wasn't good? What were you going to do? <laughs> yeah. Um, but I think that oftentimes foreigners are seem to be American too, because I know that's something that some of my like Canadian friends have talked about right. where they're like, assumed to be American. I mean, it's not a bad guess at all because the size of the American population and there's all the American military bases and stuff. But right. That's certainly something like I'm American. So people asking me if I'm American doesn't really matter to me, but it could be an annoyance for somebody who's not American. Yeah. And this reminds me of another part of your um, thesis, because I think another, you know, I'm smiling or laughing because I'm sure, you know, it's coming another nationality that a lot of older men or men in general tend to come up and ask women is, are you Russian? And um, that has a totally different connotation. You mentioned uh, one of the women that you interviewed, her name is Carrie. And she said that she gets mistaken for a prostitute. And that's something that usually, you know, the implication of, are you Russian? Because so many prostitutes who are working in Korea, they are Russian. So it just has that, that meaning. And I feel like these kinds of experiences, they make foreign women uncomfortable existing in a public space because they happen on the street or when you're outside of a cafe or even just when you're waiting for your friend in the subway. And I was wondering if you ever felt that kind of hesitancy to go out in public because of how you might be perceived. And if you did have that experience, how were you able to kind of get past that feeling? Yeah. So that's definitely a big part of the experience experience in Korea for many women is, you know, objectification or something. And that can make them feel, you know, uncomfortable, othered, or, you know, marginalized in public spaces. Mm -hmm. And I'm not sure that I've ever really felt super uncomfortable or hesitant going out in public. Um, I mean, like compared to the United States, Korea is very safe. And even my participants in my study, like from the United States and like South Africa, were just that's one thing they did mention about Korea that they really liked, that it's a lot safer than their home countries. And so part of my perceptions of safety will be based on, you know, my home country. But, you know, there's definitely experiences that I've had where, you know, there's just like old people, sometimes like older Korean men just like kind of staring at me. You don't really know. <laughs> why is it a positive thing is it a negative thing and usually that's not too much of an issue but I actually did have an experience recently on the subway last month where I was wearing like a skirt and I had like black opaque tights on and I had my little carry-on suitcase mm -hmm. and I was on the subway and I had like the suitcase in between my legs so it wouldn't fly off sure and this old guy sitting next to me his eyes just drifted down like half a dozen times so I finally said to him in Korean I was like mobile you know, <laughs> what like, are you looking what at? are you looking at what are you looking at and after that he kept his eyes to himself I can speak Korean you know in a conversational way but when you're kind of flustered or stressed out you know obviously that can kind of go out the window sure but I think part of I, I don't know if I'd say ease but my ability to navigate Korea definitely comes from my ability to speak Korean to at least a certain extent, especially this time coming back to Korea, you know, where my skills are, you know, about intermediate, but I also 
am more willing to say something to people if they're making me feel uncomfortable or like just kind of being rude in a public space around me but like I was at Gyeongbukgung for the night view Mm -hmm. and I wanted to get a picture just down this one area and I was waiting very patiently but there was an older man taking pictures of a young girl mm-hmm. in a handbook and there was two other young women there but I mean they were taking for photos for a very long time mm-hmm. and so I was finally kind of like hey could you please take pictures faster you know I wasn't like rude about it or anything but the thing was it wasn't just me they were taking up it was kind of a narrow walkway and they were taking up more than 50 percent of this walkway because people were trying to avoid going in front of the camera people were trying to be very polite and not get in the way and so right. they were really creating kind of a traffic jam. yeah no I've I think that's a really common discussion among foreigners in general is uh, the kind of mic- micro-cultural differences like that um uh, there's a lot of, I hear a lot of stories about, you know, like people don't seem to, to notice. And I, and I said, I think it's funny because in Korean, you have the word nunchi, which doesn't really have mm-hmm. a proper translation, but I, I think I would, if I had to, I'd call it like, um, common sense kind of. And I said, it's funny because we don't really have, we don't really have that word in our culture because I think it's so embedded in our culture. Whereas the Confucian culture here, it's more, you know, look upon yourself, focus on yourself, don't bother other people. But then that inward looking creates those little micro (laughs) cultural differences of not paying attention to where you're going, not really paying attention to people around you. It definitely has that. I think it has that outcome. That's definitely a small cultural difference, but you can definitely feel it when you're out in public spaces. And I think a lot of people in general too are conditioned to like not make a scene you know you kind of grow up you don't want to be like rude and I mean especially if you're in like a different country like Korea where if there is like an outburst or something if you're loud on the subway sometimes people (laughs) might yell at you or something yes (laughs) especially when you're drunk I was thinking also about the fact that you commented on what you were wearing in the subway and I think what you were wearing you know was was purely just to point out that the man was looking at you but I think that is a big conversation and I've seen it in a lot of um, expat women's groups on Facebook of hey I'm moving to Korea in a month and I, what should I wear? Can I wear like low cut things? Can I wear short things? Because the culture is different. And, um, one thing that I I never thought of that ended up being a very big problem in my school. And interestingly in your thesis, somebody mentioned it is that, uh, and particularly the, the woman that you interviewed, she said that her long nails had the perception of making her look scary. Somebody said she looks scary. And at my school, there was a mother who had complained to our principal that her daughter would get scratched by one of our teachers because of her nails. And they were not very long. Um, they were just, you know, they were manicured and they had a bit of a curve. Um, and so she called the school every single day to see if the teacher had taken off her nails. But obviously when you pay for that kind of manicure, that removal is like another appointment and it takes time. And then if you go to a really good, uh, nail salon, you know, you might not get an appointment for a couple of weeks. So I think this kind of really ended up upsetting a lot of teachers in our school, understandably. And I don't think it had anything to do with the fact that she was a foreigner and, you know, probably a Korean teacher with the same nails would have received the same comment. Looking back at your life in Korea, do you ever feel like you had an experience where you were called out for something and 
you know, maybe they, they blamed it on the fact that you were foreign when actually it had nothing to do with that. Oh, that's not a good situation. That just school is it. That's I felt so bad for her. And you know, she paid so much money for those nails. I think I've almost blamed things more on the fact that I'm foreign than Koreans have blamed it on me. I'm not sure if I've had an experience like that mm-hmm. specifically. Sometimes it's kind of hard to know. Like I was mentioning earlier, like, is this because I'm a foreigner? Is it because I'm a woman, American, right. et cetera? Um, but I did have this experience, which is like not totally related, but kind of related. I was walking into the subway holding hands with my boyfriend, who is Korean. And mm-hmm. it was like this very spacious walkway. It was like as wide as like a road. And there was this old Korean man coming down the walkway down the wrong side. Like mm-hmm. he was on the walking down the right side. So on his left. So he was going the wrong way. Mm-hmm. And I somehow kind of sensed that he was going to slam into me. He sure. totally sh- like shoulder checked me walking down the wrong side of a very large walkway. And was that because he has a thing against foreigners, you yeah. know, foreign women, because I'm a non-Korean holding hands with a Korean. Those are the thoughts that run through your mind. You don't know. I think like that's exactly the same sentiment that so many of my friends have. And I have it too. And it's an unfair projection on my part. Like one time I was on a bus and the only empty seat was the one next to me and people were standing up and nobody was sitting next to me. And it could have just very well been the fact that nobody wanted to sit down. You know, I was mortified for some reason because I developed this whole narrative in my head of it's because I'm foreign or maybe they think like I don't smell good or something like that. I actually got upset about it, but like I ended up being the one who created this whole narrative that was probably not even real. And I think so many of my friends struggle with that. And I think that comes from especially the early months in Korea, when you don't have your group of friends and you're not that familiar with the society and you've just left your home and you do end up feeling more like isolated and you do stand out more and people do look at you more. I think that that kind of toxic narrative pops up a lot more in your head. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Your perceptions of the situation can definitely have a factor in that because, you know, somebody can just run into you on the subway and you can just brush it off. But maybe if you've had a recent experience of, you know, xenophobia Mm -hmm. or something, you might be more primed to think of that. Exactly. Or if you're just maybe in a more negative headspace that day. Right. um, That can be a factor too, for sure. And I know people who they've built up that, that incorrect uh, perception so much that it's caused them to leave Korea. It's caused them to, you know, just say, I couldn't stand how I was seen or I couldn't stand the xenophobia. And like, it definitely exists as we've, as we've kind of talked about and seen, but like, I know it really eats away at some people. I think it's definitely somebody, if anyone's listening, who's not moved to Korea, but wants to just uh forewarning you, you know, don't try not to make those narratives in your head because most of the time they're probably not true. On the other hand too, just like if you really are having a bad time in Korea and not necessarily because of like, you know, experiences like discrimination but like you're very isolated or something if you do decide to go home or move somewhere else like that is okay too if korea is not the place for you yeah and if you don't feel good or if you don't feel safe or something like make sure you talk to somebody about it you know that story it really touches on i think what was the most interesting part of your research 
which was that to me anyways, um, was that some of your interviewees said they were more included than not included. And I was really surprised to hear that because I, I have personally had a lot of friends leave, um, leave, you know, earlier than they expected to, because they had a hard time. Um, so I was very happy to hear that. And, uh, I feel like we've talked about some, you know, difficult things, but on a positive note, uh, when did you feel like you were kind of most included in Korean society? And also I'm wondering, do you feel more included because your partner is Korean? Overall, though, people did feel pretty included. And then some people did have some, you know, more ambivalent experiences. Mm-hmm. But for myself, it, it's going to depend on your definition of inclusion as well. There are many different ways to look at inclusion. Um, so like some of my participants, I'm not sure if I could ever like truly belong in Korean society because, you know, I'm not Korean. Um, I probably will never be fluent in Korean, but Mm. if I can kind of participate in society without being othered, without, you know, like, oh, you know, foreigner getting the fear, like when you go into a cafe and there's just like fear in the cashier's (laughs) eyes as you approach the counter. Who speaks English? Who speaks English? You know, Find someone. <laughs> if you can just exist in society, kind of being treated the same as they would treat any other person, a Korean person or anything else, barring, of course, language difficulties, because that's like its own whole thing. Sure. But if I can just kind of exist in Korean society, that is like a form of inclusion, you know, like yeah. if, if people just kind of make some attempts to understand my Korean, even if my vocabulary and grammar are a bit stilted and my accent is a little confusing because, you know, I've had instances of people not doing that. And Mm -hmm. that's obviously, you know, kind of alienating because you're trying to communicate and in their language, but a lot of Koreans probably aren't used to talking to people who are non-native Korean speakers and so they just like don't have that practice some of us from other countries where you have a more diverse population we do get used to that and obviously as English teachers we deal with kids all day who are speaking English right as a foreign language so you're used to varying levels there's some room in the middle at least in terms of Korean where they're not just like oh you say like hello and they're like wow that's great (laughs) and it's like or they're like, they hear me speak one competent sentence and then they're like, and I'm like, oh no. It's a compliment, but it's, yeah, it's difficult to navigate. And then in terms of having a Korean partner, I definitely think that helps. Or if you mm-hmm. alternatively have a lot of Korean friends, for one thing, if you don't speak Korean well or like at all, it gives you access to more things. Like I talked about how my boyfriend helped me with the insurance company with getting hit by the car but so that's kind of from a power standpoint but also a belonging standpoint like just the apps that are only in Korean like yes I can speak and read Korean but like all of these words on the app are kind of confusing and I can translate it but it takes me much longer and so Mm -hmm. you know he can just book something for me or help or one of my Korean friends could help Right. You can do more things, right? Like if you wanted to get a pension out in kind of a rural area. Um, But you can also kind of learn more about Korean society and culture when you 
interact with Koreans on a more personal level regularly, and they can kind of show you different things about Korean culture, which is really cool. Like, at yeah. least for me, if I can understand kind of what's going on and like how to participate in different things in society, I can feel more included, like with cultural knowledge, like what do you do at a Korean wedding? Or if you go to a Jimjobang, what do you do? And you can learn that kind of thing from foreign friends, but it's nice to get that insight from a Korean perspective. Yeah, I'm a very strong advocate of, of connecting with the local culture and, and uh, making sure that you, yeah, not only to help you yourself, but also to just enjoy your experience living here. You know, like you said, there's nobody going to teach you as much about Korean culture as a Korean. Um, it definitely has brought up some issues though. There was a recent issue with, um, coronavirus because, uh, when they offered the vaccines for the teachers, they didn't have a system in place to like register the foreign names. So a lot of teachers who applied for the vaccine didn't end up getting it. It had something to do with the way their name was written in the Korean system on their ARC card versus how they typed it. And it was just a huge mess, but having Korean friends and, and, uh, partners definitely helps. This reminded me of another part of your thesis where you mentioned that there, there are a lot of services that are unavailable in English and it kind of brings up the age old question of whether or not foreigners should be responsible to learn the language of the country that they're living in. But, you know, only 5% of the population in Korea is foreign. So I'm wondering your opinion, do you think that the Korean government is kind of justified in its decision not to translate, especially these, I, I think in particular government websites and messages, or do you feel like it's okay to only post these things in Korean? Yeah, so that's definitely kind of an age-old question, I think, for a lot of people living in Korea, dealing with the government websites alone, just with all of the installation packs and stuff and the Internet yes. Explorer. Um, alone <laughs> Internet with, Explorer! Like, it's a logistic obstacle. And there's a lot of different viewpoints about, you know, people learning the language or not, um, you know, or how much they learn you know especially if they're staying in Korea only temporarily um Korean can be a pretty difficult language to learn especially if you're coming from English being your native language like I know that Korean can be a lot easier like for instance if your native language is Japanese right because they're a bit more similar mm -hmm. um and a lot of people work very long hours so it's pretty hard to make progress on your Korean abilities like the first while of me being in Korea I was just trying to study Korean on my own sometimes but I was getting nowhere really right until I took my Korean class and you can get by just speaking English though I think the longer you are here maybe the more difficult that can be like if you want to buy an apartment or something or do something that's a little bit more complex 100% think your life in Korea will be easier if you can at least like read Korean and speak a little bit like you know what you might use at like a cafe or a restaurant or something um mm -hmm. just because you know people can kind of see that you're trying even if you're not very good and people usually respond well to that and that's something my participants had kind of said as well but then for like government sites and services like foreigners are indeed a very small minority of Korea right like I think around 5% of the population, like you said. 
So maybe that's even less now. I was going to say it seems a bit high. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, with the pandemic, there might be fewer people. Sure. But and even in that group, you have people from so many countries and they speak so many languages, right? Yes. This is the issue. It's usually often just English is the perception of every foreigner. Yeah. But I think that I forget it, but English speakers are definitely not like the majority group, even when you add in everybody together. I almost want to say it's Indonesian or a Southeast Asian language. Um, I'm not sure. I mean, Matt, you're right. If, it's not English. I think usually if you see something, it's going to be in English, Chinese or Japanese. So, right. <laughs> um, you probably have a number of speakers of those languages here with the government websites. That's at least something where once you translate it into like a couple languages, you don't really have to update it, you know, like you can just kind of have it. And then there's like that structure and people can use it. Cause I remember like trying to do like taxes and you have to get this form from this website, but it's all in Korean and it's home like, tax probably. Yeah. I and think there's, so. it's just all Korean vocabulary that I really definitely don't know. Like, I don't know some of these terms in English. Right. So I definitely sure. don't know them. Korean. And so, you know, if you could at least have some stuff available in the top few foreign languages, especially like the websites and some of these important updates about like COVID, that is important and probably necessary because I know that that's something that one of my or a few of my participants mentioned about how when Korea first had like COVID with the one patient, patient maybe 31, that there were like two weeks where there was just no information on coronavirus in Korea at all in English. Mm -hmm. And so obviously like that people would feel very anxious and stressed because you don't really know what's like going on, what the regulations are. And, you know, especially like this kind of situation that could technically be life or death for some people. Right. That's a very good point. That's very confusing and very scary. And obviously there's a lot of like groups and forums and maybe like cacao chats and stuff where people can share information amongst each other, but somebody has to get that information in the first place. Absolutely. And so perhaps like a Korean speaker or something, but like, you know, if you want to people from other countries to come and like work, you, it's good to facilitate that, you know, with like important services. And I remember looking for some information for my dissertation, I think it was about like visa rules. So I could just give exact definitions of like the E2 visa is this. And I know I have had that information in English before because I had a whole huge PDF of it when I was first applying to jobs in Korea. Mm -hmm. But when I went to look and I was doing my dissertation, I couldn't find it. The English site was like broken. So I'd ask my boyfriend for help to try to navigate all of it. And so he could try to find it for me. But then there's this PDF of just all of this visa regulations in Korean. Doesn't seem like the most helpful document considering people who get visas typically aren't native Korean. (laughs) You know, one of many examples I think that people have trying to navigate the institutions. That's the right word. It's like the institutional administrative navigation here that can be a bit bumpy. Even Even in Korean, like you said, there's all these things you have to download and apps and different like verification services. Yeah. I think that's one of probably the most exclusionary parts perhaps of Korea, at least that 
my participate my goodness that my participants mentioned was kind of the at the institutional level because for one thing you don't have really any power over it you're not writing the laws you're not voting mm-hmm. and which i obviously like you're not a citizen but these laws do affect you but usually foreigners are not really taken into consideration when they develop developing or implementing policies and hopefully we kind of see a trend of those things changing they're definitely being more brought up in conversation and among young koreans uh to kind of start talking about xenophobia and start talking about racism and and issues and and prejudices against foreigners in korea and they publish this in korean and there's a very famous uh comic writer her name is yedong and she made a book called a black man sat next to me on the subway and she teaches korean people in korean about you know black hair care and why it's rude to ask somebody to touch their hair and like all these things so you know when i came to korea seven years ago i could never have even imagined that that book would be a bestseller yeah like i definitely see shifts even from like 2019 when i was last year to 2022 just like the availability <laughs> of like dairy alternatives like yeah you could only get like soy milk like at the mart you can get at least oat milk at a lot of cafes not every cafe but a lot of them you know that's just one of many examples but i've also seen like a lot more people with tattoos kind of out in the open too for sure things are definitely changing and maybe changing faster than we think who knows but that's why i think korea is a very interesting place to study and like live and learn about because well like any place it is going through changes but I just personally think it's really interesting yes and on that beautiful note is there anything kind of encouraging that you would like to say to our listeners who might who might be struggling with their sense of power and belonging in Korea yes there's definitely a few things that I can hopefully say to help somebody I know that in some cases or many cases Your power is like definitely limited in Korea, you know, by laws and visas, but sometimes by your specific workplace, language barriers, and sometimes you have like a lack of knowledge. I know that I would feel exasperated sometimes in Korea because you just want to do a simple thing, but it's really not that simple because you don't have that knowledge or there's a lot of steps. You don't know what you need. Like literally last week, I was frustrated because I had some kind of like grease stain on a shirt. And at home, I would use like Dawn on it. But then it's like, do they have Dawn in Korea? No. Is there a Korean equivalent? No. (laughs) I guess I'll just take care of it when I get home. But if you're living in Korea, you can't just like take care of it at home. So what should be something simple becomes a bit of a drawn out process. Mm -hmm. So you do have obviously limits that you can't really influence but there's still definitely a lot within your life that you can influence in Korea and I distinguish between that a little bit in my paper like personal power versus social power and there's you know different ways of looking at power and control and autonomy but there are things that you can control over even if you don't have much control like at your workplace you know you can control what you're doing outside of your workplace and who you hang out with and where you go and where you travel And I know that it can be very helpful to have like a very supportive group of like friends, foreign friends or Korean friends and having a community who can support you, but you can kind of ask questions too, like how to do stuff for products. 
like I know that there's like a lot of Facebook groups or sometimes cacao chats for that kind of thing. So joining those can be good for just like finding information, finding friends. Um, yeah, if there's something you think that you can exercise some control over to help you feel more control of your life, make you feel more at ease, you know, try to do that if you can. For belonging, that's in some ways, you know, it is hard to maintain friendships long-term because people come and go. You know, I had many good friends leave Korea, but in other ways, it is easier a little bit to make connections because you both have Korea. Why are you in Korea? How long have you been here? Where have you been? Have you traveled anywhere good? And you can kind of discover the country together and that can be kind of a bonding experience. And so, you might have to be a bit more proactive, though, in making these connections than you might at home. But there definitely are groups of people out there. Like I kind of mentioned before, like it's OK to leave, too, and go home or go somewhere else, like if Korea is not a good fit for you in the end. But I think a lot of people can make Korea work and like have a really good time in Korea. Even if the work environment's a little tough, just like everywhere else, Korea has its strengths and its weaknesses. And if you just kind of go in, kind of knowing what to expect, like we've kind of talked about here, just kind of know a bit what you're getting into. I think you can have a really good time in Korea. Give it a try. Yeah, basically. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I think we've left our listeners with a lot of helpful information and good insight. And if they want to learn more, they can go to your website, culturesnapshots.com or check out your social media. And I hope you can come back in a future season. Yes. Thank you for having me. I'd love to be on and talk more about Korea. I could talk about Korea for a very long time. (laughs) We'll make sure it happens. Thank you so much. Yes.